moving forward. If you happen to miss that, there are about 10, I think, CDs of that sermon uh, at the kiosk this morning, so I don't know what welcome team members at the kiosk, but if you'll just have those ready, if anybody comes up, that'd be helpful today. Uh, So about 10 of those, if you want to know a little bit more about where we're headed as a church in the next few years. Uh, Also, uh, you can hop online and catch that sermon anytime you want to at uh, vlchurch.com. And so you just click on media, and then you follow that down. You can scroll down. Also, to let you know, we were starting a series last week, which was called Paul's Prayers. And the whole emphasis of the series is how Paul would write to the churches that he'd founded or had been founded by associates of his, and he would pray for them. He'd say, these are the specific things that I'm praying for you. And every time that he did that, he was praying that they would mature in some way. Now, some of these churches were doing really, really well. They, They were great churches, but he still had ways that he prayed for them that they might mature. Some of these churches were a mess. And he had lots of ways to pray for them that they might mature and and lots of different things that he needed to write to them. The church we're going to look at today wasn't quite a mess. In fact, it might have been Paul's favorite church, if you're allowed to have favorites. That church is the Church of Philippians, or Philippi. So if you'll turn to Philippians today, we're going to be right there in the first chapter where Paul is speaking to a church that he really, really loves. Speaking of love, that is certainly an interesting term, and it's going to be the focus of the sermon today. When I say that I love something, that can take on a whole lot of meanings. Love is a word that is used and abused and used over and over and over again. And for a lot of us, it doesn't have much meaning. Now, I could look at you today and I say, I love my wife, Gina. And you might go, oh, he loves his wife. That's sweet. But a little later on today, I might look at somebody and say, I love the Browns. So you're equating your wife with a professional football team. Is that what you're telling me? That you love them the same. No, you don't love them the same. And, and I might be driving home today on Hudson Drive and go, oh, I love Taco Bell. <laughs> and between like the love of my wife and the love of the Browns and the love of Taco Bell, the word love gets a little bit mixed up, doesn't it? I mean, we say we love a lot of things that we really don't love. There are things we have affinities for, things that we like, and then there are things that we truly love. The only one of that th- those three that I truly love is my wife, even though she told me earlier this week it was the Browns. So, uh, you know, but, but love is an important word. And what makes the word more confusing is that people want to love sort of in their own image. They, they have a concept of what love is, and that's how they love, and that's what, that's what they're going to do. But not everything that calls itself love is love. In fact, I was reading a story this week. You know, everybody's headed back to school. College students have headed back to school. I read the story of a parent who their college freshman had moved into the dorm and moved in with a person, that, and they, they weren't getting along. They were having a hard time. There were lots of little different squabbles. Where do you put the refrigerator? Why would you hang your stinky socks there? All that kind of thing. And so these squabbles are happening, and this freshman is just not getting along with his roommate. And so that mom, out of her love, did the only natural thing. She called the university president and asked him to intervene. <laughs> yeah, because that was what she needed to do. Now, what would she say? I'm just loving my son. But we all know that that's not love. That's crazy right? But we can do a lot of things in the name of love, but what that mother really was doing is loving in the name of control, right? She was trying to keep the control that she probably exerted on her son in horrible ways for 18 years, right? And on the other end, so you got this one side of love that sort of likes to control, and then on the other end of love is what's real popular today, which is to just say, let people do what they want to do. I'm just going to let my kids grow up to be the people that they want to become, how old's your kid? Six. 
right? And you're like, well, hold on a minute, where's, where's the discipline? Where is, where is rearing this child? Where does that fit in, right? Or especially among friends, and you hear this a lot. I, I worked with young adults for eight years, and somebody will come to me, and, and they'll sit in my office, and they won't come for themselves. They'll come for somebody else, and they'll say, oh, Pastor Matt, so-and-so is going through all this. They're destroying their lives. I can't believe that they're doing this. They don't, they're so reckless. It's just amazing. I, I, but I, I'm not going to say anything because they'll think I'm judging them. And really, what does that say? Well, it says I don't love them enough to risk saying anything to them, right? So on one side of love is people who want to control others. On the other side, we bought into this concept of love is, well, I never say anything to anybody about their decisions because that's their decisions. And the best way that I can love them is just to accept anything they do. And that's not love either. Letting people destroy themselves isn't love. I've met too many parents, I've met too many spouses who wish they could go back and love their families in a different way. More balanced approach to love. I, I, I've, I've seen too many churches who wish they could go back and take a balanced approach to loving in their community. Uh, to not be so legalistic and try to control people or to just have no sense of morality and just go, hey, whatever happens goes and we really don't want to speak to that. We'll just talk about good things. But to truly be a person of love is complicated. You have to have wisdom, you have to have discernment, you have to have selflessness, and you have to have compassion. So over here is wisdom and discernment, knowing the way you should love, and over here is selflessness and selfless, self, oh, I'm not even going to try to say that, just being compassionate. Over here is being compassionate to somebody and loving them from your heart. I think the only person in history who loved perfectly was Jesus, and Paul's going to talk a lot about Jesus in this passage today. Paul's prayer for this church is that with Jesus in mind, with Jesus as their guide, they would learn to love in the most excellent way. And that's going to be our goal today, to learn to love in the most excellent way. Are you in Philippians? If you're not, that's okay. It's going to be on the screen. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version Paul says to the church of Philippi in verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about you, all of you, because you hold me in your heart, for all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, for God is my witness, I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. All right, here we go. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best. Those of you reading the NIV, what is excellent so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. What a great passage. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, the Bible is timeless because it's God's word, but the Bible is also timeless because people could write like this. I mean, really, Paul had a gift for just beautifully expressing what he's trying to express to these people. Now, there's a lot that I could tell you about the history of Philippi and the fact that Philippi was a city that had, had been recently founded and it was a Roman province and everybody was a citizen there. I could tell you about how if you go to the book of Acts, you could see how the church at Philippi was started. There weren't a lot of 
God-fearing Jewish people who knew the Old Testament so Paul could launch them into the New Testament world. And so he just went down to the riverbank and started to meet a few people who were praying and, and began to start the church. He loves this church, and it's not a normal church for him. It's a little bit different. Also, Paul, as you can see from the passage, he was in prison, and the Philippians were people who had sent people and money to help them survive while he was in prison in Rome. And you could sort of catch his love for them, his deep affection for them. It's like a grandparent and his grandkids. He really had a strong love for these people. And there weren't a lot of things that Paul was responding to here. There, there was just a few things that, that might have been wrong in Philippi. They might have had a couple of factions within the church. But he's not writing like he was writing to the Corinthians. There's not a lot that Paul's upset about with them. In fact, most of the time, he's pretty, pretty impressed with the way the Philippians have been living their life. But yet he still has a word to them on how they can mature. He is still praying to God for them that they might become fully the church that they could become. So even Paul's favorite church, even the one that seems to be the most loving and compassionate and great church, at least that we can see in the entire New Testament, still has room to grow. I hope you know that that fits very well with last week's message, if you remember it, that he still had something to tell these people and they still had something to listen to. So what's Paul's prayer for the Philippians? May your love overflow. May it get bigger and bigger. In what? Knowledge and full insight. I find that incredibly interesting. Paul doesn't say to them, I want you to love more and more in feeling and affection. He says, I want you to love more and more in knowledge and full insight. A cerebral love is what he's describing here. A cerebral love. Now, when I marry a couple, when I do their wedding, I often talk to them about the different, difference between the feeling of love and the action of love. Paul, I don't think, is talking necessarily just about the feeling of love, even though he does mention compassion and empathy in this passage. He's talking specifically when he's praying for them that they might understand better how to love up here so that they can do it physically. So they can actually uh, produce loving gestures in their lives. Not just feel more love for people, but actually know exactly what they should be doing. So much so that he says, I want you to have knowledge and full insight about what you or how you love. and, And I want it to be so that you do what is best. Love in the best way. And once again, for those of you reading the New International Version, love in, in the most excellent way. What does that seem to imply? It seems to imply that there are things that can call themselves love that aren't quite love. But there are also things that are the best way to love. And that's what Paul wants them to grow into. Well, why does he want them to do this? Why does he want them to get to this full-fledged loving people the right way? Well, first and foremost, it's to honor Christ. I mean, how many times do you see Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ right in this passage? In fact, that's a theme in Philippians. In fact, Paul is just overflowing not only with love for the Philippians, but love for his Lord. And he wants everything that the Philippians to to do, everything that he wants them to do is within this framework of we work, we honor, we live for Jesus Christ. Jesus said back in the Gospels, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
all right, we're going to have to work on that response thing, okay? I know that you, are you just that into the message? Anyhow, uh, if you love one another, that, that, that's what Christ said. That's how people would know who we are. We know that to honor Christ is to love one another the right way. Christians should be known for their love. Now, we could stop right there and just let the message take a very negative turn. Because that's not quite what we're known for in most circles, is it? We're not quite known for our love. Paul seems to imply that there in Philippi, the Christians there were known for their love. Boy, if that were something that we could strive for, that we would be known for our love, for our true affection slash cerebral thinking about how we're demonstrating God's love to people, we'd be in a really good spot. The second reason that he mentions this love thing in full insight is that he mentions the day of Christ Jesus twice. In essence, he's telling the Philippians, you're living on borrowed time. You will not always have the chance to show your love to the world. You will not always have the chance to demonstrate Christ's love to others. Either Christ is going to return or you are going to be taken to meet Christ. And the the time is short. You don't want to live your life not loving. Because there's going to be a day when you face Jesus and that's going to be what he asks you. Where was your love? What does Paul say here? You don't want to meet Christ unless you're ready to be pure and blameless. And what's pure and blameless to the Christian? Full of love. Full of love. That's pure and blameless. To be a Christian without love is to be impure and guilty. That's what this passage is implying. That if we don't love the way God calls us to love, if we don't really express God's love to other people, then we're not righteous. That really is what's being applied by this passage. Look at verse 11. After he says, well, let's go back to verse 10, to help you determine what is best so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced a harvest of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus for the glory and praise of God. That our love is to be expressed while we still have the time to express it. If we want to be righteous, we must be people of love. We must be people of love. If you want to go back even further to the book of Matthew chapter 5, and Jesus says this incredible thing to his disciples and the people listening to his preaching, he says, you know what, folks? Unless your righteousness exceeds those of the Pharisees, you won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's a scary statement because the Pharisees kept all the laws really, really well. They kept all of God's rules to the T. So what possibly could separate us from the Pharisees? I believe it's the call to love. That our righteousness is demonstrated by having a relationship with Jesus by which we want to share his love with other people. And that's the third reason I believe Paul is talking about love here. He wants these people in verse 11 to have a harvest of righteousness. When they leave this earth, there should be fruit in the basket. When you leave this earth, there should be fruit in your basket. You do not want to be the old dried up fig tree of scripture that bears no fruit that's only good for cutting down and throwing in the fire. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that if you don't fill a quota, you're not going to make heaven. That's not the point here today. The the real point that's, that's trying to be made is all through Scripture, there is this idea that those who live righteously will bear fruit. And it's not meant to just be internal fruit. If it's just internal, you're a Pharisee. Well, I live righteously, so I can sleep, put my head on the pillow at night and feel good about what I did that day. I'm a good person. That's not the fruit of righteousness. Fruit is external. 
And I know you in the NIV, you're going, what are you talking about? What's going on? Well, because you, you see, that, look down at verse 11, and you see what? Filled with the fruit of righteousness. Either way, the, the, the concept doesn't change. That our lives would be full of the fruit of the effect of our love. Our love and our righteousness are correlated. And if we love people, we will bear fruit. That's the concept that Paul's trying to get across. As he says, I pray that you'll bear fruit. So Paul's to rehash for just a minute. Paul's saying to them, redeemed people love. People who know Jesus are full of love. Your chance to show love, it's not without end. There will be a day that you face Christ, and he's going to want to know what you did with the love that he showed you. Did you show it to others? And three, is your basket full? Did you reap a harvest of righteousness in this life? That is why we love. So what is it that the Philippians need to accomplish the task? How do they love so that on the day of Christ Jesus they are pure and blameless? How do they love so on the day they meet Christ their basket is full? Well, they have to love the most excellent way. They have to love the best way. They have to do true love in order to be pure and blameless on the day of Christ Jesus. They have to have full knowledge and insight in order to how to love best. Now, I mention this and I go back to this concept of marriage. I, I have on my marriage intake sheets when people want to get married here at the church a question of give me a, give me a one sentence definition of love. And I'll tell you, they always get it right. Well, 80% of the time. They get it right. 20% of the people I just go, oh, well, I don't know what that was. But anyhow, they, they think they're William Wordsworth. They're, they're like a poet and they're trying to get something across to me that I couldn't understand. But anyhow, about 80% of them Write something to the effect of this. And i got to go back to my notes so I make sure I get it right. True love is to want what's best for another person. Something to that effect. That's true love. Is to want what's best for another person. That's true love. About 80% of the people who get married that I marry, they get that kind of definition. But by whose standards? How do I know, if I'm, if I'm to truly love Elder Tim Klug here, how, how am I to know what's best for Tim? Because if it's by my standards, I'm going to want to love Tim in my own image. I, I'm going to want to love Tim the way I think Tim needs to be loved. Right? And, and in essence, if I really, really want to love Tim, there's going to be, because I'm who I am and I have my own standards, there's going to be a way in which I somehow want to impose my will on Tim if I'm loving him by my standards. If, if I go over to the other side and I'm to love Wally the way Wally needs to be loved, and I'm, I, I, I need to... I need to do what's best for Wally and always want what's best for Wally, but I'm loving him by his standards, I'll just let him do whatever he wants. I'll just love him in whatever way that he thinks he needs to be loved. See, how do we know what's best and how to love people? In one respect, if I try to love Tim the way I think Tim should be loved, that's a method of my control over Tim. If I try to love Wally in the way that Wally wants to be loved, there's, there, there's nothing there because all I'm really doing is affirming Wally and everything Wally wants to do. Where's the balance? I believe there is, there is a little better definition of love for the Christian, and I think it truly comes from this passage. The truest love on earth 
is to want God's best for someone. Not our, our best for someone, not their best for themselves. The truest love on earth is to love people by wanting God's best for them through Christ Jesus. See, I believe there is a third way here. There is a third way. That, that it's not, I don't love Tim by my standards, and I don't love Wally by his standards. I love them both by God's standards. What does God want for them? That's the truest love on earth. Now, I'm not saying that those 80% of people got it wrong. In their hearts, they were right. They were exactly right. True love is to want what's best for somebody. And to want what's best for somebody is to move them on to God's agenda for their life. That's the truest love on earth. Because you don't love that person more than God does. You can't. You don't have it in you. But Christ does. Christ loves that person more than you love that person. Christ created that person with a purpose and a vision for their life. And you, to love them, might have an opportunity to move them closer and closer to what God intended them for and to do in this world. That's true love. So you say, what does that mean? Are we just to preach at people? No, that's not the point at all. But the most excellent way to love people is to move them on towards God's agenda for their life. For someone who needs love and acceptance, you show them love and acceptance. Wasn't that the model of Jesus? How many people who were on the outside all of a sudden got on the inside because they'd met Jesus Christ? How many times do you read in the Gospels of somebody who has absolutely no way into society, the leper, and Jesus walks to the leper who hasn't touched a non-leprous person in years, and what does it say? He touches them. Why? Because he gives them the opportunity to be loved and accepted within the community. He just doesn't go, let me heal you from over here. But he goes right up to the leper, he touches them, he welcomes them right in because that's exactly what they were missing. That's how he loves the leper. What does he do to the Pharisee? How does he love the Pharisee? You brood of vipers! You say, that's not loving. Yes, it is. Because those Pharisees that Jesus was speaking to, they were going to die in their own self-righteousness. And Jesus came so that no one would die in their own self-righteousness. So that they wouldn't have to stand before God and say, God, let me into heaven. I'm a good person. And God goes, no, you're not. I've watched you your whole life. I know you're not. That's the point. He didn't want the Pharisees to stand before God and try to say, I did everything right. Let me in. No. Jesus came so the people could go, I know I didn't do everything right, but God, I know you love me. And I tried to serve your son who died on a cross for me, who covered my sin and made it possible for me to have a relationship with you. He covered my sin with his blood. The most precious element on earth was that of a spotless, sinless sacrifice. He sacrificed himself for me. I don't claim my righteousness. I'm claiming your sons. Can I get in? Well done, my good and faithful servant. What was the best way to love the Pharisees? To shock them out of their self-righteous stupor. He was loving those people by going, you jerks, stop it. What is wrong with you? Look at who the Father is, faithful and compassionate and full of mercy and full of love, and all you're doing is going around putting rules on everybody. He was loving the Pharisees. 
Because he was moving them on to God's best for their life. And you know what's so great about the book of Acts? A bunch of the Pharisees put their faith in Jesus Christ. A bunch of them were his early followers, the people he'd yelled at. Now that's going to be my goal for evangelizing the community. (laughs) I'm going to go right into the bird streets after church, find a street corner, and begin to scream. You brood of vipers! Hypocrites! Put down the coffee and come to church, right? No, that's not what we're going to do, right? Jesus could do that because Jesus had authority that we simply, well, we can have, but we don't operate in a lot of the time. We don't operate in a lot of the time. But the best thing for those Pharisees was for Jesus to shock them right out of their stupor. Perhaps the best way that Jesus showed love was to that woman caught in adultery. Remember that story from John chapter 8? They catch this woman in adultery, and under the law of Moses, she used to be stoned by the community, and they throw her at Jesus' feet. And they say, Jesus, the law of Moses says to stone this woman. What do you say? And he gets down, he writes in the dirt a little bit. He diffuses the upset attitudes of the crowd. And finally, he gets up and says, yeah, it's right. You should probably stone her. You who want to stone her, whoever has no sin, cast the first stone. Remember the story? Who's ever without sin, you cast the first stone. And one by one, they all back away and they all go home because they realize Jesus has got them, right? Right? This woman's a sinner, but so are you. Don't cast the stone. Do you remember what he says to the woman? He says, woman, where are your accusers? She says, sir, there are none. He says, neither do I condemn you. And then she walked away. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He'd saved her life, and then he cared enough to say something that would save her life. Because the adulterous relationship she was in was destroying not only her lives, but other lives. And he cared enough to tell her the truth after he'd saved her life. A truth that would save her life. Go and sin no more. I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. So how did Jesus love? What's his model? Was he always fully accepting of behavior? Certainly not. Was he always trying to control people? Certainly not. But was he clear on his mission? Yes. His mission was the Father's, and the Father's mission was to redeem the world, to move people towards God's agenda for their lives. That was love. And he backed it up, didn't he? He didn't just come and speak words into people's life. He didn't just come and threaten his reputation by accepting people who were outsiders. He went to a cross for all of them. And he died to show the measure of his mercy and love for them. So that he could be the sacrifice by which all of us could be saved. So when he looked at the Pharisees and said, brood of vipers, he said, now I'm going to go die for you. So that you won't die in your own self-righteousness. Patting yourself on the back for really knowing how to do life. And for the woman caught in adultery, he died too. He died too. You see, Jesus loved perfectly. He's our model. So when Paul is praying for these people, when Paul is praying for the church, he says, I want you to have full knowledge and depth of insight on how to love people best. That's what's important here. We can love and accept those who aren't loved and accepted. That's part of being Christian. And part of being Christian is giving the truth to people who need to hear the truth. You know, Hebrews 12 Verse 6 is something really incredible. It just implies, it doesn't imply, it just says it straight out. It just says, you're God's children, and he disciplines those whom he loves. 
You're God's children. He's going to speak things into your life you don't want to hear. But if you, he truly loves you, he's going to tell you what needs to change. That's loving too. For the one who's questioning their worth, we're able to say to people, guess what? God created you, and he created you with a purpose. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, right? For you're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. God thought of you and then let you come into being to do something to partner with him in the kingdom of God to redeem this world. You have worth. You're God's child, and he has something for you to do. For those unsure of their eternal destiny, and you say, who are they? Oh, there's lots of people who are questioning, what happens to me when I die? And you say, you know what? What happens to you when you die is that you don't stand in front of God and say, God, I'm a good person. You stand in front of God and say, God, I followed your son. He was a perfect sacrifice on my behalf. I'm not righteous, but he is. I don't do everything right, but he did. And he covers my sin. And he gives me an opportunity to come into your presence. You don't have to be afraid when you die. You just have to accept Jesus Christ, and he will give you entry. He will give you entry into God's kingdom. See, we have a lot of things that we call love, but not everything that we call love is love. There are certain things that love is not. The world says accept everybody for who they are. Accept everybody for who they are. I agree. Let me just change it a little bit. Accept everybody for how God sees them. Because in that statement, accept everybody for who they are, is accept people for who they are and don't ever expect them to make any changes. Don't ever look at them and say, that's a bad idea, you shouldn't do that. Don't, don't ever question their decision making. Just accept them for who they are. If that's what we do, we're missing it as Christians. But if we look at people and accept them for how God sees them, then we can marry compassion and truth. Because the compassionate side of us means no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone, I love you because the Lord loves you. But I want to tell you there's some things in your life that the Bible would point out that, that are messy. And I want what, what is best for you. I want God's best for you. And I fear if you continue to go down this path, it's not going to be a happy one for you. Because in God there is love and there's peace and there's joy. And the path you're going down doesn't lead to any of those. Tim Keller, who is a very famous author, who was also a very successful pastor right in New York City, says the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Do you see the marriage of, of the truth? We all are broken. We all need to change. We all need God's Holy Spirit to speak to our spirit and make true changes of us to help us become born again. We all need to recognize that sin. And at the same time, we're God's child. He loves us. He accepts us. And he wants a relationship with us. That's what we should be communicating to people. That's how we should be loving you are loved and accepted, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing everything right. 
And when we say right, that doesn't mean that you are necessarily moving on to what God has for your life. So if you're asking me to accept behavior that is clearly sinful or hurtful to yourself and others, no, I can't accept that, but I do love you. I will always tell you the truth, and that's how you know I love you. I'll always tell you the truth, and I'll love you, but, 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 but know that I love you because I tell you the truth. Some of the culture says love is allowing people to be who they truly are. I agree. I agree. You're God's child. That's who you are. I agree. I want you to be who you truly are, a child of God. I want you to be who you truly are, someone who's working in the kingdom of God. I want you to be who you truly are, someone that is loved by Jesus. Yeah, I want you to be who you truly are. That's great. That is love. And if, if that's not who you identify with today, if you go, I don't know that I'm a child of God, and I don't know that I'm, I'm working in the kingdom of God, and I, I, I don't know Jesus, well then, let me humbly, let me humbly say this to you today. I don't believe that you've accepted your true identity yet. I don't believe that. Because God created you. God created you. And your proclivities and your habits and your desires and the, the things that, that, that you think you are, if they don't line up with that, that's not who you are. You're a child of God. He created you with a purpose. And he wants you to have a relationship with his son full of joy, hope, and peace. That's God's agenda for your life. Some people would say that love is to try not to offend anyone. Jesus loved the Pharisees enough to offend them. He wanted to see them in heaven. That was important to him. I want to tell you folks that to love people in the most excellent way is to spur people toward their God-given identity, to move them on to God's agenda for their life, because that is where peace and joy and hope abound. We want that for people. If we don't want that for people, we're not people of love. We've bought in to some definitions of love that are not love. I don't want us to be people who buy into false definitions. I want us to have full knowledge and insight just the way Paul prayed for Philippi. That they would understand how to love people rightly and that different people have different needs and that different people need to be approached differently. But in the end, our goal, our, our job as Christians, people who know Jesus Christ, is to follow his lead and move them on towards their agenda for their life. So what can we do? What, number one, if you tend towards being a know-it-all, pray for compassion. You say, I'm full of compassion, then you're probably a know-it-all. <laughs> if you don't know if you're a know-it-all or not, ask your spouse, your children, your mother, your coworkers. They will tell you quick. well, actually, they might not tell you quickly. If they buy into a certain definition of love, they'll go, oh, I don't know about that. You're a know-it-all because they don't say anything offensive. Pray for compassion. Pray that you'd be loving and accepting to the people that it's hard to be loving and accepting to. Pray for understanding and mercy. 
for those of you who are full of compassion, you know who you are. You're the ones always getting stomped on. And you're getting taken advantage of. You need to pray to God that he would give you resolve to speak the truth. And stop getting stomped on. Your counselor calls it codependency. Stop getting taken advantage of. Speak the truth. And abide by the truth. You see, it's not a one-size-fits-all, and that's why Paul speaks in the language that he does. I want you to grow in knowledge and full insight so you know the best way to love. That's a spiritual task, folks. Spiritual that then makes its way into the mental, not the other way around. God, help me to love people so much that my goal for everyone I encounter is to move them a little closer to God is to bring them a little closer to Jesus Christ, is to help them move towards God's best for their life. Whether that's my spouse in the car ride home, whether that's my coworkers, whether that's my kids, whether that's my grandkids, my nieces and nephews, whoever they are, help me to truly be a person of love, not just to want what's best for them, but to want God's best for them. Then I'm truly a person of love. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord Jesus, I believe that you're speaking today through your word. You don't need me to speak specific words to people. You can speak very specific words right into their spirit in this moment. Lord, you know our hearts. You know that a lot of times it's our desire to love people and to want to move them towards you but we don't do so much about it or we're not willing to let you change us so that we can. Lord, we're flawed, we admit it today. We're not always right. We can be jerks. But Lord, I pray today that you'd speak into our spirits to touch our hearts. Remind us that your heart, Father God, is to draw a wayward and a broken generation to your side. That they might know your love and your acceptance. That they might know that you are the God who has created them, who loves them, who wants to give them purpose beyond the things that are mundane. And that, Lord, you have a bright hope and a future for them. Today you might be here and you're saying, uh, Matt, I, I am so stirred inside right now. I... I, I feel like God is speaking to me. I, I, I don't quite understand everything that's happening, but I know that I want this love and this acceptance that you're talking about. I've sort of been wandering in life. I don't feel like I have much purpose. 
I've wondered what would happen to me when I leave this earth. I, I'm just sort of floating through life. But today I feel right in this moment God's trying to get a hold of me. That he has a new way for me to walk in. And it's, 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 by, it's by following Jesus. People I love follow Jesus. People I trust follow Jesus. And I'm ready to make that decision today. If I'm talking about you today and you know that you need to move on to God's agenda for your life today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want you to lift a hand to God or to stand right where you're at. You just move towards God in just your own way right now. Say, God, I need your love. God, I need your acceptance. God, I don't want to stand in front of you in my own self-righteousness. I, I want to stand in front of you saying, I follow Jesus. If that's you today, take that step. Just raise that hand to God and say, God, I'm, this is the day I'm going to walk towards you. Stand in your seat and say, God, this is the day I'm going to stand for you. I'm terrified. I don't want anybody to see me, but I know what I need to do today. I need to give my life to you. Start to walk in the way that I'm supposed to be walking. I'm not going to ignore your voice today. I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm listening. that's you today and you have raised that hand, you've stood in your seat, you know you're ready to give your life to Jesus, I'm not going to pray a prayer for you to repeat after me, but I want you to say to God what's in your heart. But I want you to ask him to make you new, to forgive you the ways that you've messed up. Ask him to send his Holy Spirit to be in your heart, to guide you and lead you. And tell him that you're going to make him the Lord of your life. Just pray that right now. Whatever your words are, not mine. just going to remain in a spirit of prayer for a few minutes today. I'm going to ask the elders to step forward. Today we're going to have a time to pray here, and if you're in your seat, I don't want you to just zone out yet. I believe God still is speaking, and I believe he's spoken through his word today to so many. And today I'm going to open these altars, and I want to open them in two different ways. One, if God's spoken to you through this message, and you know that you've been just moving in your own agenda for your life and you want to truly love people. You recognize that you've either either been letting everything go or trying to control. You've been operating in fear or you've been operating in whatever else. But you want to begin to love people the way God's called you to love. You want to begin to move people to God's agenda for their life. Just come and pray. Ask God to give you wisdom and knowledge and insight and discernment on how to love people. 
these altars are open. I'm going to invite everybody in this place to be praying that prayer. But perhaps you want to move towards God today and kneel on this altar. Say, God, I want to love people. I want to move them on to what's best for their life. Just come right now. Just come right now. Come right now. Say, God, I just want to pray. I just want to turn it over to you. I've just been doing what's good for me, and I need to be doing what's best for others. Just to move them on to your agenda for their life. Come on, there's more of you that need to come today. You just need to get up out of your seat and move. You don't need to, you're not responding to me. It, it's not me. It's you're responding to God. You're saying, God, I'm moving towards you today. You've spoken to me. You've spoken to me. I need to pray. I need to take this seriously. I don't want to just leave this place going, thanks God for the good message. I need to pray. I also want to invite you today who are sick in body. You say, I need a healing. I need somebody to pray for me. These altars are open. Our elders want to pray for you. Our elders want to lay a hand on your shoulder and pray for God's healing. I'd like to invite you to come. You have wayward loved ones, people who are away from God. You're scared for their future. You've said the truth. You, they, you've told them what's going on, and you're still scared. You're, you're worried. You need God to give you wisdom and insight on how to love them best. You come today. Let the elders pray for you. These altars are open. you have need from the Lord today in any other arena you say God I just need to pray and I need something from you and I'd love to have other Christians praying for me these altars are open just come right now come right now meet with the Lord today you've sung his praises you've given an offering you've heard his word now ask his spirit to speak into your life if you're in your seat today I just invite you to join with us in prayer Whatever the Lord's speaking to you today, you just take this time, make it about him. Make it a sacred time. Say, Lord, what are you speaking to me? I've heard. Look back down at your passage today. God, what is it you're speaking to me? How can I love best? I want to I move people on to your agenda for their lives. We're just going to pray for a few minutes. Allow God to speak into our hearts. you've prayed today and there's someone you see up here that you feel drawn to pray for we'd just 
feel free to come into this altar right now. Lift somebody up. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for the way you're speaking in this place. We thank you for the way that you've spoken. Lord, we thank you that you want not only what's best for us, but you want us to move people on to what's your best for them. God, I pray today that you would continue to work and continue to move in each one of our lives to encourage us to be people of love. Help us, Lord. We're going to keep the altars open today for those who want to continue to pray but for the rest of you today who have prayed and you're ready to move on you are dismissed i would ask that you'd exit quietly and make your way to the lobby before you start your conversations we'll allow people who want to continue to pray in the altar a, a time of reverence god bless you